Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're with us here today. Um, if you have a Bible, you might be turning it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, going chapter by chapter. I um, would also invite you to uh, stay after services. Got several things going. If you uh, need to get your picture taken for the directory, then Brittany will certainly do that. But um, also, we're having a, a fellowship meal, always plenty of food, wonderful time. Um, and again, that's not just a, a, a time to, to fill yourself with good food. It is that, but it is a time to have uh, meaningful conversations around tables where we get to know one another and we act as the body of Christ. So I encourage you to stay for that. And so uh, we begin this morning by reflecting on 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of this entire letter. And so what do you do when you have a mess? And more specifically, what you do when there is a mess in the church, when there is a mess between Christians? Because this is the question. For 12 chapters, we have encountered mess after mess after mess. And it seems as if the Corinthians cannot do anything without it leading to strife or jealousy or division or contention, and this church is just a mess. And so what do you do? Some might look at what's going on here and say, well, you know what, you just need to start over. Scrap what you're doing now and just begin again. You can't take that, that toothpaste and put it back inside the tube, you know. There, there's no salvaging a mess like this, just start over. Some might say, well, you know what, they all just need to go somewhere else. Obviously, it's not working. Lock the doors, put a closed sign out front. Everyone just needs to find somewhere else to meet, somewhere else to worship, because this group is struggling to be a church. Well, those are certainly options, and you can understand why someone might suggest something like that. This is a messy situation, and it's not going to be easily undone. Their mess has spilled out into the community. They're taking one another to court. Their mess has threatened relationships. Their mess has caused pain and hurt to people within the church. And so what are they going to do? Well, in chapter 13... This church is given a solution to all of their problems. And they're not told to start over. They're not told to just go somewhere else. The answer to the mess that they have created is love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a famous chapter of the Bible. You probably all know it. It's often read at weddings. It's a favorite chapter of many. However, putting this chapter in its proper context should cause us to see it differently, maybe see it in a way that we've never seen it before. Because it's not just a beautiful chapter on love. It's not just a, a chapter that's been given to us so we can use it at, at weddings and other special occasions. It is a chapter that provides the solution to serious problems 
within the church. It's a chapter about what to do when you find yourself in a mess. 1 Peter 4.8 states, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This one verse, this single sentence, is a summation of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Because the church is a mess, they've committed sin after sin after sin, and the answers to their problems is love. And chapter 13 ties the entire letter together. It's the foundation for everything. And so what does the congregation need to do about their allegiances to various leaders and various philosophies that are dividing them? Well, they need to love one another. What do they need to do about their, their grievances with each other that have caused some to, to take these matters to the public courts? Well, they need to love one another. What do they need to do about their differing views regarding meat sacrifice to idols? Well, they need to love one another. What do they need to do about their jealousy of others who have differing spiritual gifts? They need to love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, Corinth is having all these problems and Paul writes to them and tells them that the answer is love. Now, should we be surprised? Jesus himself said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus himself said that the way you do church is to love one another. Love is who God is. Love is what Jesus did for us. And this love of God is to live within us and to be present in our lives. And it's to pour out from this community that we call church. It is to be who we are and what we do. And so I want you to hear, hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so if we are clinging to anything besides the love of God, if we're clinging to jealousy, 
or hatred or revenge or power or greed or whatever, then we are missing out on the blessings that God wants us to have. If we're holding on to these other things, then we're failing to be the community that God wants us to be. We need to cling to the love of God. And when we love, we have been born of God. When we love, we know God. When we love, the world knows that we are followers of Jesus. And without love, we are nothing. Those are not my words. That's scripture. And I want you to listen to the first three verses of chapter 13 from 1 Corinthians. Uh, These are poetic words, but they're also more than this. And so it's important that we don't get lost in the poetry and the beauty of this passage. It's certainly that. It's, It's poetic. It's beautiful. But the words in this passage are also a warning to the church and a warning to us all. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I want you to think about this phrase here, right in the middle of this passage. I am nothing. Is there a sadder phrase than this? To be nothing. To be nobody. Scripture says that without love, this is who we are. We can have all the faith in the world... We can have prophetic powers. We can become a a martyr and, and give our body to be burned. But without love, it's all meaningless. You know, sometimes we focus so much on faith, and, and certainly faith is important. But we're reminded here in this chapter that love outlasts faith. And faith without love is pointless. How often have you wished... For more faith. Have you ever prayed, God, help my unbelief? Perhaps when we feel that our faith is waning, when our faith is not strong, we should devote ourselves to love. Because it's through uh, loving the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the hurting that we encounter Jesus. It's through loving one another that God abides in us, as we read just a moment ago in 1 John. And so when we need a little faith, we might should focus on loving others. Because without love, our faith is nothing. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, some may ask, well, you know what? What is love? 
And this is an important question, especially considering the times in which we live. Because this is a word that's just kind of thrown around all over the place. And it's used in different ways, and it's used in different contexts. And it's hard to know what love is. Well, apparently, um, properly defining love is not just a modern problem. It must have been an issue in Corinth as well, because Paul gives us a definition of love here in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And before we look at that, um, I would suggest that, that love is a weighty word. It is an important word. And therefore, it's a word that we should not use flippantly. It's a word that means something. And we should understand what we're saying when we use it. And so listen to how love is defined here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Meditate on that. What is love? It is this. Love is patient. It waits. It does not rush someone. Love is not in a hurry. Love takes its time. Love is kind. It is not harsh or abrasive. Love does not envy or boast. It is not selfish. It wants what is best for the other person. Love is not arrogant or rude. It's not puffed up. It does not look down on others. Love is to... Speak respectfully of others, including our enemies, and, and including those with whom we disagree. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not demanding or pushy. Love is the willingness to compromise. It's not irritable or grumpy. It does not resent others for what they may have. It does not resent their gifts or their abilities. Love celebrates the talents and accomplishments of everyone. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Amen. And so we are to love all people. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love our enemies. However, love is not rejoicing in the sins of others. It just isn't. We can love a person and disagree with them. We can love a person even when they are doing wrong, but we cannot love the wrong itself. We can love the person and not love the sin. And so love does not rejoice at wrongdoing or sin because it understands that that is leading to that person's demise. It would be like trying to, to love a person while also loving their drug addiction. How can you love a person 
while also loving the very thing that is destroying them. You cannot. That's not love. And so embracing sin and calling it love is a perversion of, the, of what the word actually means. Embracing sin and calling it love cheapens the cross of Christ. Because if sin is okay, then Christ died for nothing. Love understands what sin does to a person. It destroys who we are. It makes us less than human. It is this weight that we carry with us. Love does not excuse sin. Love redeems sin. Love goes to the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. Love bears all things. It carries our neighbor's burden. It helps those who are in need. It comes alongside those who are hurting and and bears the weight of their troubles. Love believes all things. It believes in others even when they do not believe in themselves. And so love lifts up the doubting person, the person that is crushed by the weight of this world. Love hopes all things. It assumes the best until it knows otherwise. And I want you to think about that for a moment. How often do we hear news about someone or something and we just, you know, assume the worst? I've been thinking about this thing that's been going on in Kentucky for the last several weeks um, at Asbury College. This is a Christian college in Kentucky. And um, they've had a revival going on, just constant worship. And, of course, when something like this happens, there's been all kinds of articles, all kinds of opinions shared about this one event. Some people have just embraced it fully. Others have doubted everything that's going on. And, and people have shared their opinions, even though they, they, they haven't been to the college. They haven't experienced it. They don't know what's happening. Well, I would suggest when something like this happens, and, and, and things like this ha- often happen in our lives, that love teaches us how to respond. Love hopes all things. Love says, I don't know what's happening, but I hope it is legitimate. I hope God is at work and, and it is a true revival. When we don't know, we hope for the best. Love endures all things. Love can endure sin. It can endure wrongdoing. It can endure pain and suffering. It can endure persecution. This is the love of Jesus. This is the love of the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Love that endures all things will gain the victory. So, what is love? It's all this and more. But these four verses here, they demand our attention. They deserve our meditation. We're, we're, we're not left to just wonder what love is. It's defined for us here in 1 Corinthians 13. But more than this, it's lived out for us in the life of Jesus. When we want to know what love is, all we have to do is behold the glory of Jesus. And behold the glory of his cross. 
Love is not abstract. It is not some strange feeling that we keep locked inside ourselves. And it's not simply an emotion. God is love. And love took on flesh. And love lived among us. And love ministered to people on the margins. And love embraced lepers. And love fed the hungry. And love practiced forgiveness. And love sacrificed. And love went to the cross. And so what does it mean that love is the answer to the mess that this church finds itself in? What does it mean that love is the answer to the mess that we experience in our own lives? It means that love is what we do for one another. And it's how we view and how we see one another. And it's how we treat one another. And it's how we prioritize our lives. And it's how we live out the limited number of days that we've been given on this earth that God has blessed us with. And with those days, we can live selfishly. We can live bitter lives. We can live jealous lives. We can waste our days and pursue things that do not matter. We can live lives full of resentment. We can be angry. We can choose misery. Or we can choose love. You see, the Corinthians had chosen something else. The Corinthians were divided. They were jealous. They were upset with one another. They despised and looked down on one another. And right here in chapter 13, Paul says to them, you need to choose a better way. You need to choose a better way or you're not going to make it. You need to choose love. And that's not just a word for the Corinthians. It's a word for us. What will we choose? How will we live our lives? So I want you this morning to uh, just take a moment and look to your left and look to your right. Look around you and see all the people here. And I want you to think about these questions. How will you love your brothers and sisters this week? How will you be the community that Jesus wants us to be? A community where people from the outside look in and see us loving one another. If we don't have love, if we don't choose this life and live it out here in this town, if we don't love the people here in this building in concrete ways for others to see, then we're nothing. Our lives are meaningless. That's what Paul says here. But love is the answer. Love is the way. Love never ends. 
faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And we're grateful to be in your presence. And we acknowledge that you yourself are love. And that you have taught us to love. And Father, I pray that we would open our hearts. I pray that you would soften our hearts. And I pray that your love would live in our hearts. So that we might love one another. And so that others might see your love in us. We acknowledge that this is not always easy. It's not easy to love our enemies. It's not easy to love those who have hurt us. It's not easy to love difficult people. But we accept your truth. We accept what this chapter has to teach us, and we acknowledge that love is the way. And I pray that we would all commit our lives to the way of love, the way of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand and receive this blessing from the book of Numbers? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.